the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Who was it that killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Remember when Mel Gibson's movie came out, The Passion of the Christ, all the Jewish people got upset because in the movie it kind of depicts upon it was the Jews' fault? And then some people think it's the Romans because, you know, the Romans actually did. I mean, the Romans, it was their cross. It was the Rome, that's what Rome, Rome was doing. They were crucifying people. And then, what, then we went from there to this. This is what we all say. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was me. You know who put them on the cross? You know who put Jesus on that cross? God put Jesus on the cross. Hello again and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. If you've been searching for a place to be spiritually fed, you have found it. Like you, we believe the Holy Bible contains the spiritual nourishment we need to become faithful servants God requires to help grow His kingdom here on earth. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church, located in Los Angeles, California. Our teaching pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with today's message. Good morning, good morning. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to 1 Corinthians. We're in a series, a brand new series, through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're calling it 1 Californians. And we gave you some history last week of the city of Corinth. Corinth was a corrupt city, perverted city. It had a temple that had a thousand prostitutes in it. And part of the people, their worship was to go and visit one of the male or female prostitutes inside the temple. Now, in the middle of Corinth was a church. It was called the Church of God in Corinth. And as you can well imagine that the world, the influence of the world, had bled into the church. And so Paul, the apostle, writes this letter called 1 Corinthians to the church in Corinth to help solve some of the issues of the worldliness within inside the church today's text the apostle continues to point people to jesus and the cross upon which he died i want you to look at verse 17 first corinthians chapter 1 verse 17 it says for christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, it's almost like the preacher gets in the way and all of his talking, he gets in the way of you actually hearing the message of the cross. I want you to write this down in your notes that the cross of Christ is powerful. The cross of Christ is powerful. 
I want you to look at verse 18 in your Bibles. He continues by saying, for the message of the cross is, and he says two things. Number one, it is foolishness to those who are perishing. What does that mean? That means for those who are here and you're not saved and uh, your heart is hardened when you see the cross, it means nothing to you. Jesus dying and bloodshed and the, all that. It's just it, for an unsaved person, it's all foolishness. But he also said to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It means everything to you. Why? Because you understand the power of the cross. It's two things. It's foolishness of those who are unsaved, but it's the power of God to save for those of us who are saved. I want you to skip over to chapter 2. I'm going to come back in my third point and talk about the second half of chapter 1. But I want to skip to chapter 2. No one on the planet Earth did a better job of sharing the message of the cross than did the Apostle Paul. Paul went on four missionary journeys. Four. He wrote half of the New Testament that you're holding in your hands. He, he, there was never been a greater evangelist, never a greater missionary, never a greater a church planner. There had never been a greater winner of souls. And it wouldn't have mattered had he been in the courtyard of the king or if he had been with the peasants out on the street, he was going to share the gospel. He had three things. Number one, he had the right message. He had the right message. Verse 2, this is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. He says, For I resolved to know nothing when I was with you except one thing, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it. That's his story. You know, you could ask Paul any question. You could ask him about his theology. You could ask him what his views were on the second coming of Jesus Christ. You could ask him, are you afraid to die? Uh, you could ask him, are, is, it really, is it hard being single and being a Christian? Uh, you could ask him, what are we going to do about all the problems with the disunity in the church? And whatever he taught, he would get back to one answer. The answer is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm always amazed by how some people... They believe that if they say these words, hey, you need to come visit my church, that you somehow have shared the gospel with someone. Now, I want you to invite everyone you can find to church, okay? But just handing the Bible to someone is not really sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is when you open your mouth and you begin to explain about how God loves you so much that he was willing to allow his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And when he died, he died in your place. He paid the penalty for our sins. That's sharing the gospel. And all, I say all that to say this. We have a beautiful building here. You can have a beautiful building. You can have pews. You can have a preacher. You can have a pulpit. These letters all start with a P. You can have people. But if no one is explaining the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nobody's going to be getting saved unless the gospel is preached. 
He had the right uh, message. Number two, write this down. He had the right model. I always pictured Paul as this big, strong, I wasn't going to say bald, but I don't think he was, he was partially bald. But he was, I always felt he was a man's man, you know. He was courageous. He was fearless. Verse 3 says, when I came to you, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much what? Trembling. Now, he just said I was resolved to know nothing except one thing to tell you one thing geographically. But he also says, I, I, I was nervous. I was scared. I, I was shaking. He said, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or superior will. I love that word eloquence because I always thought he was an eloquent speaker, a marvelous orator, a powerful communicator, a master of language. I I thought whenever he spoke that it was like a a hot knife going through butter, just smooth. That's what I thought until I read the Bible. I want to show you this verse. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. Here's what they say about Paul. They say his letters, the one, and you can tell the one reading, they're kind of weighty. They're kind of forceful. In other words, he's not real sweet. He's just kind of to the point. But you know, I met the guy. He is unimpressive. And his speaking, oh, it's bad. It's bad. His speaking, oh, his, his letters are good. Okay, okay. His letters are good. But have you ever heard that, that brother speak? Oh. He is unimpressive. I want you to write this down. He might have been the world's worst speaker. I'm not saying he was. But according to the records that we have, he was very unimpressive when he spoke. So what was this secret? How did he deliver this message if he was not a very good speaker? How in the world world was he blessed? I want you to write this down. He saw himself as a vessel as a tool, as an instrument. I wish I could preach a whole sermon just on how he knew that he was, he saw himself as an instrument. Verse 4, we get a hint of it. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive word. Now, he did that over in Athens. He did that up in Athens, and it didn't get him very far. When I came to you, I came with one thing, a demonstration of the Spirit's power. He saw himself as a tool, as an instrument that God, through the Holy Spirit, would work through him in a mighty, mighty, mighty way if he stayed with the story of the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know if the Holy Spirit can work through the Apostle Paul in that way, even though he was a terrible speaker, guess what? God can work through you and he can work through me, through the Holy Spirit. He can work through us. I've always thought, you know, you say, well, I'm not very talented. Good. Well, I'm not a very good communicator. Good. Well, I'm kind of shy. Good. That's exactly the type of person God wants to use, His Holy Spirit. In fact, I've always said, the more talented you are and the more gifted you are, the more difficult it is for God to work through someone like you. Because you take all the credit. You're full of pride and arrogance. It's the guy who's like, I don't know know if I can say it. Just start talking. God will use someone like, you don't have to know the Greek text. You don't need to know the Hebrew text. You don't have to have a Bible college degree. You do not have to be an ordained pastor. All you have to do is to be, open up your mouth and begin to tell someone, hey, can I tell you that God loves you? 
and that he sent Jesus to die, his son, on the cross. And when Jesus died, he actually died in your place. When you start talking like that, you're sharing the gospel. And just share those words, and let me tell you, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to work through you in a mighty, mighty way. Amen, 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 amen. So we have the right message, and we have the right model. Number three, we have the right motive. The right motive. I want you to go back. Well, well, let's look at that verse for verse 5. Verse 5 says, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You see, if you, can, if you have the ability to get up and intellectually out-thank someone, out-talk someone, and out-reason someone, what happens is someone can actually get saved based on your logic rather than hearing the simplicity of the gospel, the gospel that saves. I want to try to cover just quickly the second half of chapter 1. Go back there because there's a battle between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of man. I want you to look at verse 22. There's two things, two examples. One are the Jews who are looking for a sign. He says that the Jewish people are looking for a sign. In fact, they demand a sign. And the Greeks are looking for wisdom. Now, I want to talk about both of those quickly. The Jews wanted miracles. Give us miracles and we will believe. They were looking for a miracle worker. They wanted someone who could get rid of Rome and set them free. And they were looking for a sign or a miracle or a demonstration of miraculous power. And I want you to know that there are churches across America today that are lusting for miracles. Churches will actually advertise miracle healing service and no one actually actually gets saved. No one actually gets healed. Jesus was just the opposite. Jesus performed miracles and never advertised them. You need to be careful when you make your approach to God based upon a miracle. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign, but none will be given, well, except one, the sign of Jonah. Well, what miracle is that? He says in the next verse, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The Jews, he said, you're looking for a miracle. There's only, I'm only going to give you one. I'm not going to do all this stuff just so you'll believe. I'm going to do one thing, and that's the death, burial, and the resurrection. That's the only miracle that you need. What if a child in this church died, and we all saw it, and we were all at the funeral, and five days later, I say, I'm going to raise this kid from the dead, and you all know he's dead. And so I say the name of the father, rise and this kid raises up from the grave you tell me what would happen the next week here at church first of all you couldn't even get in here channel two would be here channel four channel seven channel 11 channel 13 cnn would not be here (laughs) but you say well preacher if i saw If I saw a miracle like that, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. Do you remember what happened after Jesus fed 5,000 people? Miraculously, he fed five, they all saw it. 
he fed 5,000. You know what happened the very next day? He said, well, what have you got for us next? They started following him just for the miracles. He knew that. In fact, I, I, I think about when he went to the cross, all the people, think about all the miracles that Jesus performed. All the people that had miracles performed with him, none of them were there at the cross. They all fled. They all left because it's never, ever enough. And did you know that John the Baptist, who Jesus said is the greatest man who ever lived on this planet, the Bible says in John 10, 41, that John never, ever, ever performed any miracles? John the, we have no record of John the Baptist performing any miracles, and yet Jesus said that's the greatest man who ever walked on this planet. So what made him great? I'll tell you what made him great. His claim to fame was one thing. He simply pointed people to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That's the only thing he ever did was point people to Jesus. The Greeks, the Greeks wanted wisdom. They wanted philosophy. They were highly educated, learned people, sophisticated people. They, they wanted someone like Plato or Socrates. They they didn't want to worship based on a sign or a wonder and be wowed by something. No, they wanted to worship based on the shrine of their intellect. And I believe that most of America is divided today in those two categories. Some are too sophisticated to even look for miracles and some are too superstitious to look to philosophy. And neither one is, is looking where they should look. The only place you should be looking is towards the Christ upon the cross. Look again at verse 22. I'm going to read through this. The Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. All right, we got that. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified. Yes, it is a stumbling block for the Jews who are looking for this sign. And yes, it appears to be foolishness to the Gentiles who are looking to find something that, that stretches them intellectually. But then he says, verse 24 and 25, and it's really difficult to understand. I wish I had time to, to really dig into this. But to those whom God has called, and you need to understand that God calls all Jews and all Greeks. He, you say, who, do, who does he want to save? He wants every Jew to be saved. He wants all the Greeks to be saved. To those who God has called, if you're in the audience, you're Jew or Greek, you need to understand that Christ, Christ on the cross, that is the power of God. You're looking for a sign. That is the sign. God hanging on that cross. And for the Greeks that you're looking for wisdom, there is nothing wiser than God himself in the form of flesh hanging on that cross for your salvation. Look at verse 25. For the foolishness of God, Jesus on that cross, it's wiser than any man's wisdom. And the weakness of God, because God, if you're, if that's, if Jesus, if you're the Son of God, why don't you come down off that cross? You're not God, you're just, you're just a mere mortal man that's so weak that you, the weakness of God, God hanging on a cross is stronger than any man's strength. And what is he saying? He's saying this as we close. To those who are saved, to those of us who are, when we see the cross, we see in the cross the very thing the Jews were looking for and the very thing the Greeks were looking for. You want power? You want some miraculous power? Hold on. Jesus dies. He's buried. And three days later, he resurrects. And you talk about a miracle. The greatest miracle 
is the miracle of a changed life because that miracle lasts for all of eternity. And if you want wisdom, I'll tell you something that even a five-year-old can understand. That God loves you so much that he allowed Jesus to die on that cross and shed his blood so that you and I might be saved. There's a big debate. I hear it all the time. Who was it that killed Jesus? Was it the Jews? Remember when Mel Gibson's movie came out, The Passion of the Christ? All the Jewish people got upset because in the movie it kind of depicts upon it was the Jews' fault. You remember that? And then some people think it's the Romans because, you know, the Romans actually did. I mean, the Romans, it was their cross. It was the Rome, that's what Rome, Rome was doing. They were crucifying people. The Jews weren't doing that. The Romans were doing that. Not the Jews' fault, it's the Romans' fault. The Romans were the guys that had to hammer the nails. The Romans did it. And then, what, then we went from there to this. This is what we all say. It wasn't the Jews, it wasn't the Romans, it was me. It was my sin and your sin. You know who put them on the cross? All of us. And I just want you to know that all those answers are wrong. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't us. You know who put Jesus on that cross? God put Jesus on the cross. God sent his son. All the Jews in the world and all the Romans in the world and all of us in the world put together. We couldn't put Jesus on the cross. Only God put Jesus on that cross. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you so much that he wants to have a personal relationship with you and he wants you to live with him forever and ever and ever. And so he sent Jesus to die. And when Jesus died on that cross, he paid the penalty on our behalf. His blood was the atonement for our sins. God sent his son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the gospel. That is the gospel. It's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day. We exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts. If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. 
we're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing, Rediscover a Simpler Faith in Our Complicated World. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch, inviting you to join us tomorrow at the same time as we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.